And now we are going to uh, make our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse through the book of Acts. I would like to do a little bit of a background because it's our first study in Acts and um, give you a little bit about the author, who he's writing to, what the main ideas and points of the book is actually about. First of all, uh, the book of Acts was written by Luke to Theophilus. He spoke also also of uh, Theophilus in Luke chapter one, verses one through four. So if you go to the book of Luke, he's actually writing this letter to Theophilus. And now in Acts, what we're looking at is a continuation. Luke, as it concludes, picks up in uh, Acts chapter one. Uh, Acts is a continuation of Luke. And it primarily is speaking about two people, Peter and Paul. Um, Peter, we're going to find um, mostly in chapters 1 through 8. And then Paul dominates the rest of the book uh, from chapter 13 to 28. What's interesting about Luke is that he was a physician, he was a doctor. He was not Jewish. He's the only writer in the New Testament who's not a Jew who's writing the book. Luke traveled with Paul, and that's where he gets his extensive knowledge of the gospel from the personal accounts that he had with Paul. Um, turn with me to, uh, we're going to begin this morning in Second Timothy 4, and then we're going to conclude in Second Timothy 4. But I want you to just see the closeness of their relationship. Luke traveled with Paul when Paul was in his second imprisonment. Wherever Paul went, he ended up in prison. And here in chapter oh, chapter 4, picking it up in verse 9, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed from Thessalonica. Now there's a whole Bible study right here. We call this backsliding. He left following and serving the Lord, and he departed because he loved this present world. It brings up a whole lot of theological issues. Um, we could debate eternal security here with this verse, and we probably <laughs> split people's opinions right down the middle. But anyway, Demas took off. Why? Because he loved this world more. Um, then there was Creasers from Galatia and Titus, we all know, they all left, even Titus. Now notice verse 11. Only Luke is with me. And then he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful for me in the ministry. And Tychicus, I sent him to Ephesus. Uh, 
bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas uh, when you come, and the books and especially the parchments. I'm, I'm sure he's speaking of the scriptures from the Old Testament. And then he talks about a guy who did him harm. He said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. And you also must be aware of him, for he has not, he has greatly resisted our words. In my first defense, no one stood with me. All forsook me. So this is the second one. And uh, Luke is hanging in there with him. And um, uh, Paul is marginalized. Everybody had nothing to, wanting anything to do with him. But the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So Luke is unique. He's not Jewish. He wrote the book of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. And he's the only one who stood with Paul when he was in um, his time when he was getting ready to be taken home. And we're going to close in, in this chapter, but for now, let's go back to uh, Acts chapter uh, 1. A little bit more background information. If you're one of those people who likes diagrams and, and layouts, um, the book of Revelation, remember I told you it was divided into three sections? Um, the things that are, the, thing that, the things that you've seen, the things that are, and the things that will be hereafter. That's the division of the book of Revelation. Well, in the book of Acts, it's also divided into three different categories. Chapter one through seven, we find that the church is established in Jerusalem. Now, we'll see this next week when we get into Acts chapter two. The church is established in Jerusalem, and Peter is gonna be the one who explains what's happening to these people that are being filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets up and explains the whole thing and lays it all out to them. And it tells us that because of this, 3,000 people got saved. Not bad for your first time witnessing, huh? So the first division, uh, chapter one through seven, is really Peter. The second division is chapters eight through 12. Here, the gospel spreads and multiplies in Judea and Samaria. Here, we're going to see where Paul, first called Saul, uh, greatly persecuted the church. He consented to the stoning of Stephen, and I think it haunted him. I really do. I think it haunted him the rest of his life. And when we get to... That chapter, we'll see his conversion, his dedication, and how the Lord had called him. Now, I'm going to make a special point of that, the calling of Paul, when we get a little bit farther into it. So the second division would be chapter 8 through 12. Um, And then the final one would be chapter 13 through 28. Um, There we have, for the first time, the unifying of the Jews and the Gentiles. And the church now explodes and it multiplies greatly into all the world. 
we'll see the conversion of the first Gentile. We'll talk a little bit about him this morning. Up till then, only Jews could be saved. But now, in these last chapters, we're gonna see the Lord actually bringing, um, with the conversion of Cornelius, uh, Gentiles actually being able to get saved. This morning, we'll look at Acts chapter one. And what I'd like to point out here that's important and why I entitled um, the morning's message, Wait Until, is as we look at Acts chapter one, uh, the Holy Spirit isn't given until Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter one, uh, they are told just to wait until. And we'll read those verses in a second. Um, he, of course, is referring to Luke as the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, uh, we will look at several examples of the necessity of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. There are certain requirements for receiving him. We will look at the, the use and then we'll look at the misuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at those who are saved and are baptized but not yet baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we'll give you an example of um, those who don't even know that the Holy Spirit even existed after they were saved. And I'll give you an example of that also. So with that much of a little bit of a background and introduction, let's go to where Paul read for us earlier and um, look at Acts chapter one, the first four verses. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus both began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles who had been chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So after the resurrection, the Lord was still there for another 40 full days appearing to many, at one time as many as 500 people. Verse four, and being assembled together with them, notices he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Now there's a reason for this. But he says, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. So what we have in chapter one is the Lord speaking to the disciples wait until. Don't do anything. Um, and until he comes, the reference, of course, again, is uh, the Holy Spirit. Well, in verses, um, let's see, in verses six through eight, I'm gonna come back to that. Oh, we can read it now. We'll read it twice. Verses six through eight. Therefore, when they had come together, they ask him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has 
put in his own authority. But, and here's now the promise. And again, the point is the Holy Spirit hasn't been given yet. But you, but you shall receive power, future tense, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. Now, do we have it clear so far? Guys, chapter one, do nothing. Wait until. And everybody listened except Peter. (laughs) Peter, being Peter, um, um, and in his own thinking, in his own mind, he's, he knows prophecy. And uh, he says, no, there's things that need to be taken care of here. And if you go down to verse um, 15, it's Peter now that begins to speak. And he says, in those days it was Peter, verse 15, who stood up in the midst of the disciples together the number of names were about 120. And he, remember now, what, what is the Lord's instruction? Do nothing. Wait until. What does Peter do? Well, he's got this Old Testament prophecy going through his head. And he goes, just wait a second. Um, men and brethren, the scripture has to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us. Um, By the way, he's quoting uh, Psalm 41, a prophecy. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased the field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. I don't know if that's more information than you want to know or not. And it became known to all who were dwelling in Jerusalem so that the field is called in their own language, Echeldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no one live in it. Let another take his office. Peter's doing the counting. Hey, there's only 11 of us here. And the scriptures have to be fulfilled. There's only one problem with Peter's thinking. What is it? He's not waiting until. So we go on. Um, we'll pick it up in verse, uh, let's go down to the verse, uh, continue reading here. Therefore, of these men, who have accompanied us all this time, sounds logical, that the Lord Jesus went up out from among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us. Of these must, there has to become a witness with us of his resurrection, there's only 11. And they proposed too, Joseph called uh, Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take part in the ministry and the apostleship for which Judas had by transgression fell 
that he might go to his place and they cast lots. In other words, they flipped the coin or they, they rolled the dice and he was numbered with the 11. That's how chapter one ends, okay? Um, as I think it through, it's a prophecy. Peter knows that it comes from this psalm. It says, let another fill his place. Uh, let's pick out a couple guys here. So they did. And uh, the lot that fell, uh, fell upon Matthias. Here's the problem with Matthias. You never hear about this guy again. Not once. What, what's wrong with this? Well, they were doing the picking. The Lord wasn't doing the picking. Who is the rest and what is the rest of the book of Acts all about? And most of the books written in the New Testament he calls himself an apostle to who? Go in, fill in the blank. Colossians, Ephesians. The apostle Paul. Who did the Lord pick? Not Matthias. He picked Paul. What did Peter do wrong? He didn't listen. Sometimes he'd get it really right, and then the next second he'd get it really wrong. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Well, some say you're Jeremiah, Elijah, one of the prophets. Well, who do you say that I am? Well, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Peter, well spoken. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven has. I can almost see Peter. Guys, are you listening? Did you hear what the Lord just said about me? Did you catch that? So... um, He's, you know, enjoying the moment for this divine revelation. And then the Lord talks about what's going to happen to him and his crucifixion. And Peter steps in and he said, Dwight's terminology over my dead body, I'll die for you. Nobody's going to take you. And what does the Lord do then? Well, he rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. So what do you have in in about four verses from the Bible? Divine revelation, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. That's one minute. And the next minute, Satan, get behind me. That was an open rebuke. You're, You're thoughtful of the things of men and not of God. See, he still didn't know that the main purpose, they asked the question, is the kingdom gonna come yet? And they didn't know. They didn't have that revelation. They're going to have revelation, but not until chapter two. So if I would summarize chapter um, one here, uh, the whole idea is when the Lord says, wait for the promise, and don't try to do anything, no matter how smart you are in the scriptures, even if you know the prophecies, um, be careful that you're being led um, by, by the Lord through all this. Now, the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit, we read it once, but let's read it again. And that's in verse eight of chapter one. But you will receive power. The word power there is dunamos, We get our word dynamite from it. 
uh, when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. Can I point something out here? Shall come means it hasn't come yet. Okay? And you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judah and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? And that is to give you power to be a witness. Uh, sometimes I get myself in trouble. It's not my notes and I'm flashing back on something. And some of you have heard this story before. It's not my notes, but for your new timers and on, you on live stream, I'll tell it again. When I got saved, um, I made a deal with the Lord. I said, I surrender. I give my life to you. You got me. One condition. No public speaking. (laughs) That was the deal. Now I'm going to tell you why. When I was in ninth grade, I ran for vice president of the student council just because I thought, that's cool, you know. And um, what you had to do, though, is you had to give a reason why you felt qualified to be vice president of the student council, which meant you had to get up in front of people and talk, okay? I wrote one page, and everybody was given theirs. Everybody but me was qualified, okay? I was the last one to be qualified. So I got up, and how people could stand up and speak before people mystified me to no end. So I start reading, and as I started reading, it was more like this. And by the time I was done, I thought, well, that'll take care of that. I'm not going to (laughs) be vice president of the student council. They made me vice president of student council. You know why? Because when you're in ninth grade, that wasn't important. But if you were a good athlete, that counted for a lot. (laughs) And so, having said that, what is the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit? To give you power. And I'm, I'm serious about speaking in front of people. After I was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, well, the rest is history. You can't shut me up. (laughs) And it's a wonderful thing when you start a conversation with a person. And I could point to the time and the moment when it's me and when the Holy Spirit takes over the conversation. It's amazing. It always amazes me when it happens. Because remember, he says, the Holy Spirit will bring all things back to your remembrance. The reason it's so important to know the word of God is it's got to be in there so the Holy Spirit can draw it out at the proper time. Good place for an amen. If you don't know the word, the Holy Spirit can't bring these things back to remembrance. So it is true when the scripture says God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And it's true, I was the least qualified of all the people that were all A students and uh, very qualified to fulfill that position. Matter of fact, (laughs) um, 
one of my teachers was asked the question, um, what were you happy with the people that were appointed to, to the council? She says, yeah, all but one. <laughs> and she didn't, I think everybody probably had it figured out who it was. So let's look at verse eight again with a new, wait until, why wait until? Well, you will receive power, dunamos. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be witnesses. You'll be able to witness with power for me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What's the last thing that Jesus said in Matthew 28? Go into all the world and fulfill the great commission. Preach the gospel. Those were his final we, call it the, we don't call it the great suggestion. <laughs> we call it the great commandment. And so now he's telling him, hold on, wait until, and I'm gonna give you power, and I'll be working through you, because apart from me, you can't do anything, but with me, you can do all things. Turn with me to John chapter 14. <clears throat> John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, and we have here something I want to point out. The Lord is saying to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper helper or comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him But you know him, for he dwells with you. Stop, pause, and just look at that. He is with you right now. But then notice what it says next. And will be in you. So the point here is that the Holy Spirit is working in your life, even before you know, know him, drawing him to Jesus. He is with you. But then... If you believe on him, and uh, that's going to even have an exception to it, he will be in you. And I want you to notice one is one is future tense, with you now, but in you later. And of course, this is before Acts chapter two. Uh, go to verse twenty-five of um, chapter fourteen. These things I have spoken unto you while being present with you. But the helper, all right, here's another characteristic of the Holy Spirit. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, again, pointing out he hasn't been sent yet, in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've spoken to you. Now, I just made mention of that. So some of the purposes of the Holy Spirit to give you boldness, dunamos, power, in witnessing to other people, but also to comfort you when you're going through difficult times. And then when you are fulfilling the Great Commission, he'll actually bring things back to remembrance at that point. So those are just some of the things that that, um, I'd like to point out 
as we get into some of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. He will teach you and comfort you. Uh, go to, with me to the book of Acts chapter 8. I'm going to fill in some of the details of what's going on here without reading all of it. Um, what we have is the first couple verses here uh, is talking about Saul before he was Paul consenting to the stoning of Stephen. And then it switches gears in verse five. Philip um, was a deacon. When, it, when um, this is now after the Holy Spirit has been given, all of a sudden you got 3,000 people from all over the world. What are you gonna do with 3,000 people from all over the world? Um, they needed helpers, they needed deacons. Philip was a deacon. And what he would do is wait on tables and he would serve people uh, because they needed the help. But he was also an evangelist. So we read in verse five that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in this city. So we got revival breaking out. Now prior to Philip getting there, there was this guy named Simon the Sorcerer. Uh, He was into the occult. He could um, um, do supernatural things. I often refer to this guy as the big man on campus, the guy that everybody looked up to. He was the man. Um, And verse nine says, there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that, and this is important, he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying this man is a great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished him with his sorcery for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Gospel preached, people believed, and they got baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. He says, I've never seen anything like this before. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Now notice this, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen, Upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's the point that I want to bring out here. It is possible to hear the gospel, um, believe, and even be baptized. Even... Um, 
Simon up till this point. Uh, believed, and even he was baptized. But the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on him. Question, were they saved before Peter and John came to Samaria? The answer is absolutely yes. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Good place for it, amen. Yet there was something that was missing, and I'll point that out just a little bit later. They called for Peter and John, and they came up and laid hands on uh, those that were there, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands that the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. Here's 20 bucks if you can show me how to do that. Give me this power also that anyone who I lay hands on, they may receive the Holy Spirit. The point that I'm going to bring out here is there are times, because of motive and reason, that you might ask for the Holy Spirit because you want it for the wrong reason. And that's what's happening here. He wanted to be the big man on campus again. He wanted the glory to come to him. Show me how to do that, guys, so that when I do it, um, they, I'll be able to do what you guys are doing. Notice what happens. Peter said to him, your money is gonna perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be bought with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness And pray, God, if perhaps the thoughts of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are bound by poison and bitterness and brought up in iniquity. And then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages along the way. They were saved. Uh, Simon's motive was wrong. He wanted the Holy Spirit for his own glory. And as a result, he didn't get it. Now, I want to use this sort of, sort of um, as a launching point, uh, talking about the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a good way, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit being used in a wrong way. Now, why did Simon want it? For his own personal glory. He didn't really care if God gave him a gift that he would invest it in somebody else's life. He wanted the glory for himself. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 12, 13, and 14 are probably the main chapters in the Bible that speak about spiritual gifts. Matter of fact, let's read chapter 12, verse one. But concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Um, So he begins to explain. (laughs) uh, The church of Corinth was probably the the most screwed up church um, in the New Testament. 
I've been to Corinth one time. It was known for its immorality. Um, the city itself was in a valley, but the, the, the temples were on top of hills. And um, then the temple prostitutes would come down during the day, and that was the lifestyle of Corinth. It was very, very immoral. And they had a lot of things um, that Paul addresses to them. 12 talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And if you look at um, chapter 12, it names um, what some of them are. Apostles, teachers, miracles, the gift of helps, the gift of administrations, um, the uh, gift of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gift of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? You see, the scriptures teach us that the Holy Spirit that was sent gives you a gift. It's unique to you. He gives it as he wants to. And not everybody has the same gift. Now, all these gifts that are given, and then he goes on, it's important to uh, use these gifts, uh, but I'll show you a better way which is called the more excellent way, which is, of course, love. Love is the fruit of the what? Somebody say it. (laughs) Of the Spirit. It's not the the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, singular. And so the whole motive of using your gifts is, Paul said, it's the love of Christ that constrains me. In other words, I can't help it. I have to invest in your life to help you with my gift that I have so that it'll help you in your walk with the Lord. Another good place for an amen. Okay, now it's important to understand this because what was Simon the sorcerer's problem? He didn't get it because he wanted it for himself. He had no intentions, he was always looked up to. That's what he wanted back again. So what we have in chapter 13, of course, is a love chapter. And uh, I like that it's in the middle of it. But then chapter 14, the whole chapter is dedicated for the use and the misuse of the gift of tongues. Now remember I just told you that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to build somebody else up? You wanna know why a lot of people don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit today? They're really not interested in building anybody else up. It doesn't mean you're not saved. First Corinthians 3 talks about this one guy who had no works at all. It says, but yet his soul will be saved because works can't save you. He just believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and so he was saved. But here we have a whole chapter, chapter 14. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit is given to build up somebody else. One exception. And the exception, we'll read verses one through four. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you prophesy. That means actually speaking and teaching God's word. But he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, however the spirit he speaks mysteries. 
but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Notice verse four. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. The whole purpose of the gift of tongues is self-edification, praying in the spirit. Paul said even saying in the spirit. But he who prophesies edifies the whole church. I would, I would liken it to teaching a Bible study. I would say, if you just get up and just give a good, solid, meaty Bible study, then the whole church would be edified. Then he gets into what they were doing, and this is what was happening, is they took it out of control. And everybody was speaking in tongues in the church at the same time. And so he addresses, I'm not gonna go through the whole chapter, but he definitely gives guidelines on the use and the misuse of the guidelines for the the gift of uh, tongues. Let's pick it up, verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, and a tongue, has revelation or interpretation? Notice, let all things be done uh, for edification. If anyone speaks in tongues, let there be two or at the most three. Let them do it in turn. In other words, not all at the same time. And let one interpret. But if there's no one there to interpret, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. This needs to be put into context, what I just read here. These are the do's and don'ts in using the gift of tongues with other people around. Go to verse 22 of the same chapter. Therefore, the tongues are signed not to those who are believers uh, the word but it should be not to unbelievers, but prophesying is for unbelievers, uh, but for those who believe. Now verse 23, very important. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, which is what they were doing, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind. (laughs) I remember the first time I went to a Pentecostal church and I I heard this speaking in tongues going on. And I go, what in the world is going on here? And um, I I thought these people were crazy. And um, well, let, let me just be clear about it. Any Sunday morning we have visitors here. Uh, we have people that watch us all over the world that are unbelievers. Um, I have the gift of tongues. My wife has the gift of tongues. Um, but we don't allow it in a Sunday morning service. Well, that's being pretty legalistic. No, it's not. It's being very biblical because the Bible says you're going to have unbelievers that are going to come in, watch this three-ring circus going on, and they're going to think you're crazy. It's, those, those are not my words. They will say you are out of your mind. So have you just been a good witness? No. You probably cause people to say, well, 
check that one off. <laughs> Not going back there. Um, so here we have Paul teaching the misuse of tongues in the church of Corinth. Um, what's his name? Don't you hate getting old? Try, try to remember a name. Um, Elmbrook Church, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Pastor's name? Stuart Briscoe. Stuart Briscoe's son, Peter, has a huge church in Carrollton and was best friend with my brother Jimbo. They stood up at each other's weddings. And I was visiting Elmbrook. I only visited there one time. Large church. And um, Stuart was given a great Bible study. And all of a sudden, up in the, up in the balcony, some woman just breaks out speaking in tongues. And I thought, by this time I had known what's right and what's wrong, and I said, this is going to be interesting. How is he going to handle this one? You know how he handled it? He did this. You, sit down and be quiet. Usher, show her to the door. Whoa. <laughs> and then you know what he did? He didn't let it go at that. He says, I need to explain to you that are visiting here this morning what just happened and why I did what I did and why I did it with the authority that I did it in because I didn't want her to think she was gonna get away with it and still keep on going. So what did he do? He opened up to 1 Corinthians 14, explained the whole thing. You know what the whole congregation did? Oh, (laughs) okay. Stuart, you didn't have nothing to do with it. You're just teaching the word of God and doing, uh, I want you to go down to verse uh, 39 and 40 of this chapter, and we'll leave it with that. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. If you're in a home Bible study, you know everybody there that um, is a believer, then you simply follow the guidelines here. And you can have a tongue, but it can't be more than two or three And if you don't have a person there that can interpret it, then keep quiet. Clear enough? It's just there. That's how it's laid out, and that's how it should be done. This is the most important part, verse 40, the last verse. Let all things be done decently and in order. I have been in churches where everybody speaks in tongues. And the last thing it is, is it's not done decently and it's not done in order. Unfortunately, some of the repercussions of the misuse in some Pentecostal churches is actually required for salvation, that if you do not speak with tongues, you're not saved. Well, if I'm coming to that church and I'm wanting to get saved, believe me, I'm gonna speak in tongues Sha-la-la-la-la-la-la. <laughs> if my salvation, if they're telling me this is what proves that you're saved, you will speak in tongues. It won't really be tongues, but you'll come up with something. <laughs> Unfortunately, this has led to an emphasis where people have gravitated away from this gift where Paul says, don't despise people speaking in tongues. It is a gift to encourage you. 
So don't forbid them from doing it. Encourage them. But in the biblical order here. What has happened because of the three ring circus that this can turn into is a lot of churches we need as we get into the book of Acts we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Amen? Uh, Again without um, I am the vine you are the branches he that abides in me and I in him the same brings forth much fruit for without me you can do nothing in reference to the Holy Spirit. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because of the Holy Spirit working through me. So having said that, what has happened in my years of ministry um, is that people have gravitated away from the teaching of the word and preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. But if the Holy Spirit has drifted away because you saw some sort of misuse and you tell yourself, I'm not going there. There's been a gradual departure from the word of God and teaching and more of a social gospel. And please allow me a little time this morning because this is what's happening in the church today, so I'm gonna take and give you a definition of the social gospel and also a definition of what the gospel coalition is. These are gonna be new terms for some of you. Um, and I, I, I just got this off the internet, so, but I agree with them, what they're saying here. First of all, let's talk about the social gospel. The social gospel was a special movement within Protestant, Protestantism that applied Christian ethics to social programs especially issues of social justice. Isn't that interesting? And remember Mary's update with the church latest here? Such as economic inequality, poverty, alcoholism, crime, racial tension, slums, unclean environment, child labor, lack of unionization, poor schools, danger of war, It was most prominent in the early 20th century in the United States and Canada in their theology. The social gospel sought to put the practice, um, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6.10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, They typically were post-millennialist, Um, that is, they believed the second coming could not happen until mankind had rid itself of social evils. In other words, we evangelize the world and then when the world is all Christianized, then the Lord will come back. We call that post-millennialism. The social gospel was more popular among clergy than laity. Its leaders were predominantly associated with the liberal wing of the progressive movement. And most were theological liberal, although a few were also conservative when it came to their views on social issues. Important leaders included uh, Richard T. Eli and um, a couple other guys. 
that would be a definition of the social gospel. I want to change now. This this was about the 20th century. Grew up out of Protestantism. But now I want to give um, um, a definition of the gospel coalition. This has not been around as long. The gospel coalition is a broad collection of churches, church leaders, originally founded by Tim Keller and D.A. Carson. The organization is distinguished by its emphasis on actively engaging in the culture and it provides an, an abundant amount of resources, materials such as books, videos, study guides. The Gospel Coalition employs people who are funded by, check this one out, billionaires like George Soros, James Ritty. The Gospel Coalition isn't guided by the gospel, the scriptures, or even biblical principles. And what do we see today happening in our churches? Are they not gravitating towards this mentality? Have not they gotten away from the word of God and solid Holy Spirit-led teaching and gone into programs, which are man? That's not the gospel. Some of the best organizations in the world, I'll just mention one, World Vision, started out preaching the gospel. I could mention three or four, uh, but I don't want to get maybe people upset that might be supporting these organizations. But the Gospel Coalition is relatively new compared to the social gospel of the, of the 20s. All right. Um, basically, it's, it's man's work with a Christian label. It's one of the reasons the church is so weak today. Still, others just don't know that they've never heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that there's two baptisms, baptism in water and baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Please turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, pick it up at verse 24. I'm looking forward to meeting Apollos. I'm in Acts 18, verse 24. This man is saved and preaching the gospel. It says, now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, and he comes to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, He spoke and he taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Now when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they pulled him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Acacia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, and when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing that the, from the scriptures that Jesus is indeed the Christ. So here we have, and I think many people today, 
Um, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and Jesus will come into your heart. Amen? Is that true? That's true. That's one thing. But then what did we have in Acts chapter eight? Philip, we had all these people getting saved. They were saved, they were baptized, but the Holy Spirit still had not come upon them. But they knew about it. Oh, Apollos here, he, he hadn't even ever heard of it. And I'm speaking to people here and on the internet this morning. Well, I've been baptized. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I know he lives with me. And I'll say amen to that. And I'll also say, but that's not all the scripture has to say about the second baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the reason some people don't pursue it is they simply don't know what the scripture teaches about it. Another good place for an amen. Where's my example? Aquila and Priscilla. Here's a guy on fire for the Lord, talking to everybody. I've never heard of such thing as the Holy Spirit, only the baptism of John, but still being used by the Lord. So uh, what I'm saying, and we'll um, uh, close with this. Remember I told you we would start and close in 2 Timothy 4. So let's go back and we'll close with this this morning. Acts, uh, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> so I'll leave it on a, a positive note about the Lord's coming and the importance of being filled with his spirit. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready, in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine and gravitate towards a social gospel. Whoops, I sort of slipped that in there by mistake. (laughs) But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. They're sort of like Simon. They want a little bit of the glory for themselves. They will heap up treasures for themselves. They will turn their ears away from the truth, which is the gospel, and be turned aside to fables, social programs. But you be watchful in all things. Endure affliction. A lot of us can relate to that right now because there's a lot of people being going through a lot of afflictions. Endure them. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is Paul's swan song. This is his, his, really his final words and his final words really are to Luke that we just read earlier. He says in verse six, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. This was under Nero. He knew he was about to go home. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, only, but all of those who have loved his appearing. Are we longing for and looking forward to his appearing? 
especially in these days now more than ever before. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we look at this introduction to the book of Acts this morning, and this idea of waiting until, your word tells us that we are to acknowledge you in all of our ways and you will direct our path. But please, Lord, help us be so much aware that we can't do it. Without you, we can do nothing. But with you and your Holy Spirit, we can do all things. We do long for your appearing, and um, we pray for it even more and more as time goes on. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.